So having that perfect mix of battle-worn plus someone just new, a graduate, someone's been in the industry for maybe a year or so, they'll think about things that you can think of because your brain is a bit locked in a box. Hello everyone, welcome to the Metacast Roundtable by Navic. Uh, Money is already making me laugh and we haven't even started recording. Well, we kind of have now. Um, yeah, so I'm joined by uh, Abhimanyu Kumar today, co-founder at Navic, Matt Dayan, senior product manager at EA, and Anil Dasgupta, co-founder and CPO at First Light Games. Um, Manu said that he's nice Manu today, so I don't really know what it means to not be nice Manu. What does it mean? I, I also don't know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> every day is a nice day, so every day is nice money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to carry on trying out this new format. I'm not going to announce topics. It's going to be a surprise as we get through it. Um, I was just about to announce the topic, so I wasn't going to go very well. So, Matt... What do you have today? Yes. So today I thought we would talk about Fortnite coming back to mobile uh, through Xbox cloud streaming. So this was announced by Xbox and Tim Sweeney on on Twitter. Um, As you might know, Fortnite was previously removed from the App Store and uh, Google Play Store because of the whole Epic Games versus Apple sort of uh, disagreement, legal argument, what have you. Um, and it hasn't really been available on mobile for a while, um, which I I think has been noteworthy from a mobile shooter perspective. It's like a a, a massive game, right? And uh, the only way to play it on mobile has been through sort of niche services like uh, the um, NVIDIA, I think it was, the GeForce Now uh, streaming, maybe through like the Samsung store or something small like that, but uh, otherwise unavailable to mobile players. Um, so I thought this was really interesting that they found a sort of sweetheart deal with Microsoft perhaps. Um, and I wonder, you know, what was, what is the arrangement? Who is, what what kind of a take rate are they getting from Microsoft as compared to the 30% that they would have paid otherwise? Uh, were they still on the app store or the Google play store? Um, here's a quote that, that I think is interesting as well. Uh, we're starting with Fortnite. And we'll look to bring more free-to-play games people love in the future. At Xbox, we want to make gaming accessible to the 3 billion players around the world, yada, yada, yada. So um, hinting at potential uh, additions on the free-to-play side as well. So I guess two things going on here. One is, what what do you all think is happening? What was the arrangement between um, Epic and Microsoft? Do you think that others, like perhaps Amazon, were trying to get in on this deal as well? And then the second part, which we can discuss in a little bit, is like, where do you think this goes next? What other free-to-play games are coming to Xbox uh, cloud streaming? But let's let's start with the Fortnite Microsoft deal first. What do you all think? Do you, do you guys think Microsoft like took advantage of that position? You know, <laughs> lots of leverage over here. But <laughs> totally. <laughs> when I when I read this. When I read this, I imagined two people are in a bar and they discuss, oh, I got rejected from being on Apple. I, I, can't, I have to pay the 30%. And then the other person says, oh, me too. Why, why is this the world? And then they come together and, oh, we can bypass it by uh, using cloud browser technology. Do you, do you think it could be more cynical than that? I, I sometimes think, well... To, to be honest, I sort of think there's a bit of being man-children here in the sense that fair play to Tim Sweeney. I just want to say he is a bit of a hero of mine. Obviously, <laughs> anyone who makes Unreal, I mean, that's a game that I grew up with. Unbelievable engine, top talent, incredible person. But he really hates closed platforms, doesn't he? I mean, that's his thing. And really what this is for me is just like a giant middle finger to say, okay, 
Tim Cook, you think you can stop me, but I'm the smartest guy in the room and I'm going to show you that there's still a way for me to do it. Because if you look at it from a sort of profitability standpoint, there's none. There's no business argument. If I went to any of you here, like you were my boss, and I said, hey, Maria, um, I've got a great way to get our game onto iOS. It's by going through Microsoft. You'd laugh at me. You'd be like, why not just go through the App Store so that everyone can play it rather than this convoluted other way that you can do it? But so in some ways, it, it does make me laugh, but it... <laughs> I don't know. It's just sort of like I just have imagining like like sort of billionaires throwing money at each other, having like money fights, and that's sort of what it is really. But that maybe that's just the cynical side of me. I mean, at the same time, it is kind of cool that you can do it. If people get to play the game, good for the players. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, I can't help this thing. There's another way of doing it. But look, at the end of the day, it's the world's most popular game, or one of the most popular games. So, uh, and a lot of people were unfairly blocked out again because billionaires were throwing money at one another. So, if you can play your favorite game, that's the ghost thing. But um, yeah, that's my stance on just the Fortnite deal, anyway. I, I actually don't know into if deep. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, Sweeney's in too deep. There's no, there's no way back from this position, you know. <laughs> even, even in the, even in the announcement, uh, in the uh, like the official announcement text, uh, I guess like maybe Epic Games also wrote it because in their list of devices available, you know, all the Apple devices were first in the list, and then they said, and also Windows PC. <laughs> I mean, you know, talk about like, you know, just like. Taking home that middle finger, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, um, I I think that be, because they've made this decision to fight Apple and fight Google, like that decision is made. They've sort of painted themselves into a corner. Uh, so, given that that's not an option, you know, it's either like no revenue from mobile, no one's playing on mobile, or they do something like this, or you know, maybe they go with one of the other cloud streaming platforms, or they just you know, rely on the smaller services that I mentioned earlier, but you know, it's, I think it's like a sort of a win-win for both parties here, right? Like Epic gets some revenue. They get to give the big middle finger to Apple and Google and Microsoft gets a really big title on their uh, cloud streaming platform. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense, but I, I also agree with your cynical point of view and you'll like totally agree. I mean, <laughs> like it could, uh, I'm because, I mean, Epic and Tim Sweeney specifically has also kind of cemented his, um, you know, impression as like this uh, good Samaritan of the, yeah. of, you know, industry developers and such. Uh, it does kind of, um, um, uh, what's the word? Dull, dullen? Is, if, is that a word? Like, uh, like you dull the edge off of something. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but it kind of like dulls the edge of Microsoft's leverage because this is, um, or it could, because, you know, uh, Whatever deal terms are also getting set up over here uh, will probably, you know, play a pretty big role in future deal terms that Microsoft will want to be setting up with other, you know, uh, or getting other free-to-play, big free-to-play games onto their streaming platform. So, um, sure, like Microsoft was in a strong position, but they also kind of need to set like a, a tone, you know, with this move um, going forward, but... But I think, Matt, your second part on the point, I think, is the really interesting part. Yeah. And I'm glad that you alluded to it, because whilst this might be just the middle finger, actually, to be fair, the back door that it potentially opens is super cool. Um, I have to say that uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was on this podcast with Maria, we were talking about the Game Pass and like Sony and, you know, them making certain decisions. And some of us were saying, oh, it wouldn't surprise us if 10 years from now, the Microsoft Game Pass was available on a PlayStation. And if you think about it, does this not sort of mean that the Game Pass is available on iOS? Kind of, sort of, maybe? Hmm. If you squint your Basically. eyes? Yeah. <laughs> and then, then it's not just free-to-play games, but it could be any game. That's that's potentially what I could see happen. That's maybe a bit too speculative to say that. I, I don't think it's too speculative. And no matter how much people in business portray us doing it for good Samaritan reasons. You're a business. You're doing this with a strategy in mind and you're trying to lay, lay the floor, the path for the future. We're seeing the metaverse. Everyone's trying to create a platform. And all in all, from the start in this d discussion and, you know, quote unquote war with Apple of trying to not have to pay all the royalties and have other ways to distribute the apps through through the, the store, it's it's all for business reasons. No, no one's trying to do this out of the like, kindness of their heart to change the world. 
Maria, I can tell you're a product manager if you didn't know that already. <laughs> like that entire statement. Um, well, you're 100% correct. 100% correct. Well, you can wrap it up in the good Samaritan bow. Yeah, <laughs> before exactly. Before presenting it. But, yeah. Um, I mean, I one, think, one question I, think... I did have was... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go, you go. No, I, I was just saying that um, I was kind of also uh, thinking about, you know, what happened to Stereo and... Um, I mean, if I remember correctly, um, Apple had like a pretty big backlash to what Stadia was doing, right? Like the uh, like creating this like library of games and kind of distributing it also uh, on on Apple. Um, am I right about that? I don't recall. Yeah, I mean, either. Oh, okay. Stadia. I just, was I just like remember something a like that. In time, and... you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm uh, remembering incorrectly, but. Um, but yeah, I was just wondering also, you know, if uh, Xbox is going to be like um, getting more and more of these games uh, into their catalog and it's now getting distributed through, um, you know, iOS and stuff. It's kind of, um, I mean, basically it's a library of games that you have access to through an app, which which skirts the, you know, uh, guideline lines <laughs> uh, of Apple. Um, and I wonder, I wonder what will happen over there. Yeah, I actually just searched the App Store and there's a Google Stadia app mm. that you can download. And were you the first person to download it after taking it down? Because <laughs> <laughs> that product was so poor. That was Anyway, that's another story for another yeah. time. But I mean, look, to be fair to Microsoft, I mean, the way that they're going, how will anyone not have a Game Pass? If you're a game fan and they have great games and you can run it on anything and they've just bought Blizzard... Activision, King, et al. I mean, they are going to be the Netflix of games, in my opinion. That's a perfect way of doing it. This is just another way that they can kind of break it down. And yeah, I mean, I, I right now don't own a uh, Game Pass. I don't own a Microsoft console at the moment. I have had it in the past. It was great, to be fair. Like, all the online worked. It was pretty good value. So <laughs> I, I, basically, I guess I'm just contemplating the fact that I can't see myself not having one in the sort of next X amount of time. So um, I think they're from their kind of product strategy on that particular thing of what they're doing, it's all really, it, it just makes a big difference to the sort of like the Steve Barmer era, doesn't it, with Microsoft? Whereas uh, now you've got Satya Nadella and um, it's just all coming together, I feel. So yeah, fair play, it looks good. If I had to pick a game, please, Destiny 2, come, come back, come into the cloud. <laughs> but that's gone to Sony, hasn't it? So yeah. I think they're still going to distribute on Xbox, at least according to the announcement. We'll we'll see. But I like Matt. You're becoming a great host. You just dropped this little seed, and then you saw the the conspiracy theories come about. <laughs> oh yeah, I love conspiracy theory talk on the podcast. I'm actively <laughs> encouraging it. <laughs> um, anything else on on this topic, or will we? Well, I mean, if you have any bold predictions on which games are going to come next, uh, we could we could do that um, to the, which free to play games are coming to Xbox cloud streaming. I mean, I think it's an interesting like uh, intersection of macro trends, right? Because we're seeing more games are launching on multiple platforms at the same time. Like there was recently the announcement that Diablo Immortal is going to be a PC and mobile game. Uh, the Star Trek mobile game did it, too. Um, I think uh, Raid Shadow Legends has done it. So like a bunch of games have done it. I don't know if there's any big predict predictions from you all on like which title might come next. I can go first if you're not ready. Go on then. Yeah, you're yeah, you're not. ready. I think, okay, I think Path of Exile. I think Path of Exile would be oh. that would be cool. Yeah, I know they've tried to do a mobile game or they've talked about doing a mobile game, and this makes total sense. Like, just do it. That is a bold prediction. Can uh, Can Rocket League be a guess? Or is it? I, I just I don't know if it's already there or not. But. No, they've got the, there is a mobile version that they're working mm. on, isn't it? But the original full fat version isn't. But mm. would that be possible? Don't mm. know. Yeah. I'm sticking with my Destiny prediction because I love Destiny. <laughs> I, I mean, there is guys good at Rocket League, by the way. No, like, I've just had the hardest time like playing that game. It's 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 insanely hard. Yeah, that's why it's popular. Know, it's a fun game. Yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense though, because it's epic. <laughs> yeah, right? it makes a lot of sense. Matt, are there any um, Halo games that are free to play? They're not, are they? Not even the strategy game is free to play, is it? 
Um, I think, well, I don't know about on cloud streaming, but the, the newest one, I think as long as you have Game Pass, it's free to play. So I guess not really free, but yeah, like the, yeah. the multiplayer is free. The campaign costs money. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. The game I discovered I'm great at is Mobile Legends Bang Bang. Or maybe their onboarding is so good that it makes <laughs> me feel powerful against bots. <laughs> but no, I'm sure I'm playing against real players and I'm amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, we're going to see Maria in one of those uh, esports, uh, you know, capsule. <laughs> with the teams yeah. just competing pretty soon <laughs> I could do it <laughs> no no, I can't um, <laughs> Anil what, what did you bring today okay so um, this one's maybe a bit controversial but I find it quite interesting I'll explain why so the topic I brought was China's attempts to control the video games industry in China and specifically they are having some sort of system which is preventing people from tipping streamers and watching streams after 10pm now that topic perhaps by itself is probably a bit too controversial for this this metacast because I don't want to sort of get into a massive conversation about politics or state control and all that kind of stuff. So that's not really what the topic about is about. Why I wanted to discuss it is that I think for us that kind of work in video games in general, there is like sort of elephant in the room that we are deliberately designing addictive experiences. And these addictive experiences, I would go as far as saying, aren't quite fully understood by the public at large. And they can have quite detrimental effects on people. And so I guess what I'm sort of saying here is even though I obviously think that the way control is put on people is is bad, is there maybe actually some merit to what they're doing by trying to look after people, by stopping them playing for so long, by stopping them playing for endless amount of hours? So that was my topic. They were kind of my thoughts that I wanted to move on. So I guess... Yeah, I think everyone can agree that the state government controlling what you can and can't do at certain times is is bad. <laughs> so that's not just that. But the wider topic is more, should there be controls or preventative measures that are put in place for gamers in general, particularly younger audiences? And is it something that we as game makers should be more considerate of? Well, the UK has the age-appropriate design code that I personally, working in the industry, hope will roll out just more globally and generally and comes with all of these regulations about how you cannot do personalized promotions to players who are underage. They must have notifications turned off automatically and they have to purposely go to the settings to turn them on so you can't try to get them to accept by tapping pop-ups terms and conditions, privacy policy is all summarized, so it's more easy to understand. It has all of these data privacy and it limits it limits how much games can target players who are underage and try to protect them. But, but conversely, Maria, I mean, you're in product. So if you told your boss that you'd worked on a game and you'd managed to make the day three retention 90%, you'd probably be promoted because that would be a pretty phenomenal achievement. But the thing is, is that Day when you ninety percent, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. It depends what company Definitely you work promoted. for. Yeah, it depends who who you're working for. Um, I personally want to work for a company that has some morals, and it's not all about money. Well, so that's what I'm saying. So in this imaginary situation, because something that's similar is look how sort of addicted kids are to TikTok. Similar thing. They make a super mm. addictive experience. Yeah. They know that it's addictive. And then it, it kind of takes it that way. So, you know, for example, in China, other things they did is they forced you to log out of games if you played it for too long because people were playing, um, you know, the the MOBA over there, you know, um, Rise of Kings for way too long. And all the spiritual opium, as some yeah, call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the reason why I really want to raise this, I guess, is because in, in my personal experience, I have friends where I've seen this happen to. And the thing is, is I, I can see the argument for doing things like this. So COVID was obviously impacted everybody. And there were definitely people I knew who then just video game for sort of 12 hours a day. And then now that COVID restrictions have decreased, they're kind of still video gaming for 12 hours a day. And they didn't beforehand. And the thing is, is that I feel that because experiences are addictive, it's a bit like being an alcoholic. You know, the first step is realizing you have a problem. But do people even recognize that it's a problem? Like I feel here with this news, it's sort of like, the CCP sort of is recognizing that it is quite a big problem, that they are maybe losing productivity. And, you know, I've seen studies where they've seen that now, you know, 
rather than students being, you know, really motivated to get the top grades, which is, of course, what they really want. They'd rather just be really good at Mobile Legends Bang Bang so they could beat Maria. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say too much because my topic. You see, I'm quite passionate about it, but I'm just curious if, if you think of it, or am I just like being the old man that's yelling at a cloud, which is also possibly true. I mean, I, 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 mean, I think that there is... That's right, go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say they're going to need to play more than 10, 12 hours a day to keep up with Maria. I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just what it is. But, uh, to, you know, to, to be more serious, and maybe this is my, you know, American bias, but like, I think it's, it's like a personal responsibility. Like, there's two, two things we're talking about here, right? One is just like people, um, controlling their own gaming habits and the other is children and making decisions on their behalf. And like, I think my bias is to give parents the ultimate say and like there are all sorts of um, sort of uh, parental controls that you can put in place on your uh, mobile device or you know, whatever gaming platform you're using. These are typically built in. So that's that's sort of where I tend to fall back to as a child who played a lot of games. But I, I understand your perspective. Uh, certainly, um, there is definitely a role for regulation, but. I, I don't know. Like, I think that maybe the the Chinese approach is a bit heavy handed. Well, hundred percent is heavy handed, isn't it? But I mean, I have to say, I was one of those said children you're talking about, and um, I video games a lot, and I got told off quite a number of times. Now, luckily, I've got the fullback. Maybe like all of you were like, "Oh, it turns out those video games did pay off after all." Um, <laughs> but we're probably about the one in a thousand exactly. people that can say that. But mind you, what, what, what's your stance on this topic? Yeah, no, I was just going to add on to what Matt said. Like the the two other entities uh, are, of course, uh, you know, uh, the developers um, designing games respons- responsibly. Uh, you know, um, I think at least where like free to play was 10 years back, which was really the wild west of, you know, game mechanics and addictive mechanics and such. We've really come a long way and companies like, you know, um, yeah, I mean, Supercell obviously comes to mind kind of, you know, just setting, um, kind of yeah, setting setting the foundation for okay, what is what is still like you know highly retentive uh, game design, but also responsible game design, you know, and. <clears throat> but but mind you, are are chests that unlock four hours after you claim the rewards, in keeping with what you've just said, because I would say that they're not, and that's a mechanic no? that's known okay. to bring people in and is done by the very company you've suggested. So look, I. I I'm not going to be too critical. I've used that exact design pattern in many games that I've worked in because I understand mm-hmm. how powerful it is. But I would say that like, and I guess going back to another kind of point with kids is that, I, yeah, I agree Like, it probably, it should be on adults, but so many times it's hard to police. Like, you know, I, I personally was playing Grand Theft Auto, I think at the age of, I know, 11 or something like that. <laughs> like my mom just thought it was another game. She didn't know that I was running over Harry Krishna's and getting a multiplayer bonus for it. You know, she, she had no idea. So, Isn't yeah. that the same with cable TV? Yeah, I, I was young. I was a child and watching these Viking movies at one o'clock <laughs> in the morning that were very violent. Um, it, it all comes down to parental, parental responsibility in a way. And for example, Xbox has a lot of parental controls and I, they're, they're building a very in-depth product where as a parent you can control, can players add your child um, as a friend? Who can contact them? How many hours um, can you play? What can you play to try to give the tools to parents to control the experience? Similarly to how, um, you know, tech devices like a, a an, an iPhone or an iPad try try to do. I do agree that I believe the industry will move on potentially more to a, a place where products have to have an option where you can turn off purchases uh, so that you can uh, try to, when you have that, that needs to make a purchase, you can't because you turn it off in the settings so you, you can moderate yourself a little bit more. But I mm. don't know, yeah. Individual responsibility, yeah, like, like. Yeah. I, yeah, I just feel like, uh, you know, as games just grow as an, uh, as an industry and also just grow their uh, significance across, uh, you know, the world's population, uh, there eventually will be some role that regulation plays. But how heavy-handed that ends up being, yeah, that's the point of question, right? Like, 
I don't I personally don't agree with you know China's way of handling this that's that's really like treating everyone like kids you know that's that's really not the way to do it um but I think there would be like a middle path you know maybe on the lines of what Maria said and you know how the UK has this design code I didn't know about that but that's like really interesting I I know they have like policies around advert advertisements and such um <clears throat> but yeah i mean i think as gaming kind of grows its uh, significance regulation will end up playing some kind of a role and um and yeah it there would be kind of like this middle ground and even like to to that example of um yeah like the chess mechanic right for i mean there's also like a population of people who i would argue like enjoy having those mechanics there's like a whole generation that's grown up with free to play games now you know as kind of like the first games they played and they're kind of used to it i myself i catch myself also sometimes you know playing uh playing some, playing a box product and i'll be like ah oh, man <clears throat> I miss uh, I miss the timer over here. It's like too free flowing, you know. <laughs> there's like <laughs> there's too much of availability of content instantly, you know. It's it's like a weird feeling, but uh some sometimes I I miss those mechanics too. So it's kind of like a, you know? do they enjoy those mechanics or have they been trained to enjoy those mechanics because I quite like junk food, but it turns mm. out if all you eat is junk food, you end up being quite obese and you end up being unhealthy. Now, for what it's worth, you know, on the sliding scale of evils, I would put video games quite low. I think there are things that are much worse. I would, for example, think in in Britain, online gambling I think is out of control. I see people going to football matches that don't even look at the match, they're just looking at their phone <laughs> because they got something riding on the game and they don't realize that that's how far gone they are. You have I think TikTok is actually quite irresponsible in terms of how addictive it is. And I think it's coming more and more to light that Facebook know full well that Instagram is Mm-hmm. horrific to female teenagers mental health but they've done nothing about it so listen on the sliding scale of evils in fact it was funny because during covid they were like be a hero play fortnite for 12 hours today just don't go out right and that was like you know an actual commercial that was being run i think in germany and things like that but like i say that's just um something i want to be aware of and it's more of a discussion point rather than me being militant saying oh this must be the way um Yeah but you know yeah, I, I guess I'm saying that like you know because on the one hand we are literally being paid and be advanced for making things addictive and then on the other hand we're saying oh but people need to to have better control but it's like as we get better at our jobs we're getting better and better at making it more addictive so we're actually destroying the work that they're trying to do with that I think it really that, depends the company yeah. that you work for <laughs> at at heart like we have at heart we have people in leadership asking these tough questions of are we should we pull it back a bit are we finding the right balance should we introduce these features to help people control um how much they're spending and so i think yeah it really depends who you're who you're working with and there's this book that's very read in the product community called hooked and after reading it i felt bad because <laughs> it was all teaching about how to design experiences that are meant to addict people to wanting more. So, I think it also comes I, down to whoever's developing products and being a designer, you also have to be responsible and think about the consequences on others. Yeah. Yeah, I also feel like uh yeah, I wouldn't characterize it as, you know, um like we're getting paid to build addictive <laughs> things. Uh I mean, at the end of the day, uh every every game designer or um anyone in the games industry um has the option to you know not do that and and that's why all these different types of games also exist there are box products which i mean there are multiple companies that someone could join to like create those uh, there's the free to play revenue line there's this the the definition of gaming is now expanding with you know blockchain games i mean now you're putting a straight up financial incentive over there like i'm talk about it <laughs> yeah uh, but I mean <clears throat> at the end of the day it's really just an expansion of you know uh, the definition of a game and the people making the games sh- in each of these it, in each of these lines the people making the game should definitely be responsible about you know how they wield that power while they're you know in front of their uh whatever 3DX Max or <laughs> their Excel sheet <laughs> balancing you know economies and stuff uh but um 
but yeah, I mean, the developers have a choice to build uh, what they want. Uh, players have a choice, or at least the ones who are not considered kids have a choice to play what they want. Um, and then, yeah, eventually, yeah, like I said, I think regulation will end up playing some role in this space. But um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, what China is doing, that's that's just a little bit over the top. <laughs> yeah, mind you, you, you raised... Um you know, blockchain gaming. And that was what I was going to say is like, you know, we, we mentioned earlier, what if you had a game that retained 90%? Well, like mm. Axie Infinity's retention exactly. was pretty, pretty high. And, and exactly. that was like, because it was a job and people were making money. And so, you know, as far as I'm aware, there's no restrictions from, there's no age restrictions on participating in play to earn games. And so that's maybe like something to think about for the near to medium term futures. Like what is, what does that mean for children? Can they, when they can just log on and, make money playing video games mm -hmm. like there's yeah, by the way i work in blockchain games so the right right <laughs> the massive hypocrisy of my entire statement is not lost for me i just want to make that clear uh, no i mean to to be honest like the same the same question that you brought up anil or this perspective of well you guys are getting paid to you know uh, uh or you guys are getting paid to you know build addictive experiences I'm, how many bar conversations i've had with people who are not in the games industry who say the exact same thing to me my god and it's uh it's just it's the same you know i'm just like repeating the same thing but i mean even when like i when i was designing you know games or mechanics back in zynga <clears throat> this was like a super key point for me as as a product manager you know um like how 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 can you like not or basically a lot of zynga pms i felt were you know just very focused on revenue maximization and then they would do anything to the mechanic to make sure like the daily revenue goals <laughs> end up getting hit you know uh but that i drew i kind of like drew the line over there i was like okay great we have revenue goals and such but it is fully my decision as kind of a feature owner to figure out you know what is a good balance of you know design over here and um and yeah that that does come down to personal choice and and that's why i felt like um yeah i'm not yeah i'm not getting paid to you know design addictive experiences i'm trying to like figure out how to create fun within the constraints of a business model instead you know um so but yeah. are you are you ready to carry on i feel we could talk about this for another half an hour this, this yeah this, this is like very, this is like a big debate <laughs> topic. yeah it really is yeah <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll very quickly summarize why I brought, uh, it's, it's, it makes me extremely happy. So EVE Online, they presented their roadmap, uh, they're having the EVE Fan Fest, I think it's an in-person, an in-person event in, um, in Iceland. And so we've been seeing CCP investing in improving the new player journey. Um, EVE Online has been here for nearly 20 years. They're planning on having it around for another decade. And they're doing a lot to uplift the technology, the experience, modernize it so that it has a chance to compete with modern um, MMORPGs and other um, massive worlds that are dynamic that players can engage with nowadays. And at EVE Fest, they announced also an integration with Microsoft Excel. I thought that was amazing because EVE Online has always been called a spreadsheet MMO. And so actually leaning into it and just saying, okay, we're gonna make it easy for you. Here you go, we know you love this. We know that you need it because of the complexity of the game and making that journey easy for players. As a product manager, that just made me so happy because I know that they're eliminating that, that pain point for, for their players to be successful. But the most exciting thing though, is that what never kept me playing EVE Online is that there's barely a story. Like the story is made by leaning into the politics and your faction and the wars and just being part of this emergent story that's created with players. Uh, but EVE Online is going to start bringing back uh, narrative arcs. And according to what happens during these arcs with what players do and the consequences, they're then going to continue that story. So players, my understanding is that players will be able to influence and there will be universe consequences with their decisions. So if, I don't know if they decide to blow up a planet, well, the planet is going to blow up and then it won't be there anymore. That's, that's really cool because that's something that I hear a lot of Web3 games promising. 
And just seeing a game that's been around for 20 years, just be like, hey, we can do this too. Uh, yeah, it's great. Really happy. I don't Guys, think you'll I'm, hear I'm, any disagreement from any of us as product people. You know, I think we all support <laughs> Microsoft Excel and uh, spreadsheet integration into games. Yeah. It's, you know, fantastic. I was excited when I read this news. Uh, I think more games should do this. I, you know, I'll have have an export to CSV function. Like, I love it. Let's do it. What about Google Sheets? I mean, what about us inferior people that don't have Microsoft? <laughs> no, no, that, that, Are we being left out? What about Apple numbers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you can open. I've I've definitely opened Excel spreadsheets on Google Sheets. It has some kind of magic, magic behind it. Um, yeah, it's just I I think it's it's so inspiring and refreshing and loving seeing a company continuing to invest in this amazing game that they've been building for twenty years. They want to carry on providing this experience for thirty players are essentially creating the history of the game just by being a part of it and and taking their actions. I, I, there's not much out there in the world that can compare to the position that EVE Online has in the gaming industry. And I can't wait to be 40 years old and hear them announce another 10 years. It also comes to knowing your customer as well, doesn't it? Because what other mm. product manager says, hey guys, guess what we're going to do this sprint? We're going to do Excel yeah. <laughs> It's the ultimate quality of life. You, CCV clearly has PMs and designers and teams thinking about how to make the experience better for their players. It's amazing as well. Mm. That's, that's how it should be. So yeah, as you say, 20 years, I mean, that's a phenomenal achievement that people still play it. And keep supporting it and keep adding for it yeah congratulations and what a terrific example for the rest of us in the industry to try and aspire to yeah blast royale 30 years <laughs> i actually think a lot of blockchain games will be thinking about this i mean like looking at some of the streamers and whatnot like and how they kind of you know um showcase like their playing experience excel is also a key portion of their video you know uh just to analyze the game and such but but yeah Imagine if this is like a, you know, growing segment of the games industry, it's just like sheets and Excel, you know, partnerships like, you know, look at a game like this is really silly, but like <laughs> I, PUBG Mobile has partnered with every brand out there. Like there's got to be an Excel partnership coming soon. Right. Like, the, you know, it's it's I think it's like hilarious, but also makes so much sense. And then let Tim Sweeney refuses to let pages go into Fortnite and he doesn't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course not. Yeah. He, yeah, he's oh, going man. Excel all the way. <laughs> okay. Um, now that there's a partnership oh, between Epic and Microsoft, can we please see the word paperclip as a character in Fortnite? <laughs> oh, oh my God. Uh, they Clip put, they put Clippy in Halo. Uh, Did they really? Yeah, yeah. No there's way. like, a, I don't know what it is exactly. It's, but there's like a, there's an integration of Clippy into Halo. Like as oh. a character. You know, I'd have to look it up. I forget what they did exactly. Crazy. I want to say it was like a cosmetic or something, but it's That's there. Insane. I saw. I saw a headline about it. I love it. I won't clip you more. Um, <laughs> moving on. Moving on um, to a, a serious topic again. After my burst of of happiness, Manu, what's a yeah, serious topic? Um, well, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a serious topic, but uh, I think it's also a good one for a debate. Um, uh, so. Yeah, there was this article kind of doing the rounds. Uh, it's called it's called Stop Blindly Comparing Web 3 with uh, Free-to-Play uh, from a Web 2 dev in, uh, in brackets. And um, I actually expected it to get a little bit more traction, you know, like one of those medium articles that have, you know, 90, 100, 200 claps on it, but this one just had like two. <laughs> but I, I thought it was like a pretty thought-provoking piece. It's written by... Um, Joe Lee, who is uh, the director of product management and uh, strategic advisory at Triad. He's been there for about five years. Um, and it's primarily like a PM research type role um, on League of Legends and Valorant. Um, but yeah, his key thesis, and um, I'm just going to like, you know, just kind of set the stage and just reading a little bit from the article. So his key thesis kind of goes like this. Um, Web3 enthusiasts uh, need to stop blindly comparing Web3 games to free-to-play games without actually understanding why free-to-play succeeded. While there are similar trends between free-to-play and Web3, 
it does not mean that Web3 games will follow the same trend and end up dominating the marketplace. The primary comparison points I see cited are um, both early free-to-play and Web3 games experienced resistance from the core gamer segment. I mean, how many times I've heard, I've heard this? Uh, and the second one is uh, both early free-to-play and Web3 games uh, look like crap compared to existing incumbents. Also a line that I've heard uh, quite often. Um, <clears throat> so then, and yeah, the last paragraph, he continues. These two comparisons point, uh, these two comparison points uh, are the outputs of the equation and the wrong things to be focused on. Free-to-play games have strong underlying fundamentals that make it work from a game dev and player value perspective. So while simil similarities exist between the two, they are also inconsequential. Um, so, I mean, yeah, pretty strong start uh, to this article. And, you know, um, I think for a lot of people reading it um, and also, you know, a lot of people building in the space, a lot of people are actually like standing on the shoulders of, you know, what they've learned in free-to-play and trying to like apply some of those learnings in in the Web3 space. Um, and, and broadly, I would say, I, I do like not agree with some of what he said in the article, which we can get to, but broadly, I do agree with what, he is saying uh, in general uh, and I found it a little bit important also for you know readers of this article to keep in mind like how he starts off the article addressing web3 enthusiasts because that's where this rhetoric I feel has also originated from you know because I mean the first people kind of building these games were also like crypto native folks who were usually like they've not or mostly they've not like built a, <laughs> a game before. And, you know, that's, I feel like some of this rhetoric was also like a coping mecha mechanism for them in the space while they're kind of like at the, you know, bleeding edge of where the industry is uh, kind of going. So, uh, but on the flip side, I, I don't think like many game dev game devs say this you know like I, I've never heard Anil say something like that and he's building <laughs> the space because he knows like which world he's coming from and you know which world he's building for uh, now so well no but I, do you know what man no, you, okay. I, I, I think well I think it's a great article to kind of compare because to be honest with you I think that there's a lot of merit in this like to me mm -hmm. what this really reminds me of is the start of mobile so I personally, probably like a lot of people here, I was like a console dev. I actually worked on console games. So now there's a mobile platform we think is going to be big. What games are we going to make for it? And everyone's like, oh, I know how to make games. So let's just make our console game and put it on mobile. And then you think, mm. hang on a minute, Resident Evil 4 doesn't work on mobile. Why? Resident Evil 4 is an amazing game. Oh, you mean mm. people don't want to play a 16-hour game on mobile? Mm. You know, and there was this kind mm. of thinking. And then, you know, then we started realizing that actually the games that people wanted to play were bite-sized experiences that lasted five minutes that gave you a simple endorphin rush and then were addictive. And you'd play the game for two hours over the course of a day, but in chunks of three to five minutes. And it required an entirely different set of, of, of comprehending it. And then I remember playing, for example, Clash of Clans, and I was like, ah, this is what a hit free-to-play game looks like. This is someone that's taken an idea, RTS, and made it for mobile and made it amazing and added to something doing it. So to be honest with this article, I, I think it is really true that right now all we're seeing is people saying, let's take game X, put it on the blockchain, and it mm. should work. And, you know, it might work. There might not be anything against that. That's certainly like a safe option. But I think it is realistic to say that actually the winning formula, which will probably be seen in three to four years, probably will be something that we haven't even comprehended yet. Like for our team, we often think to ourselves, okay, we're making a fairly standardized game that's kind of safe. But can you think of a game idea that you could only make on the blockchain that would literally not be possible to do it in any other ways? And like, we have some ideas with them. We're not too convinced how successful they would be, but we can, because maybe we're not that good at, at you know, at coming up with something really creative. But there's definitely things like that. And so that probably is true. And I think also furthermore to that, and this was also proven with mobile, is that, you know, games industry is not cannibalistic often, right? You know, yeah. the market is huge, right? Why could it not be, for example, that blockchain games can exist in their own massive space, but free-to-play yeah. games can exist alongside them, just like console games do, just like casual games yeah. do, just like MMOs do? And so perhaps it will be that, yeah, you just have games with JPEGs of monkeys battling other jpegs of monkeys 
in some Yuga Labs board ape Yuga metaverse type thing. <laughs> the Yuga Wars. Right? And that's a huge industry by itself. And then you have yes. more traditional games that we have. So yes. I, I think they're definitely right to say this. But for me, I think the takeaway more is that I I, I definitely have don't think I've seen a game where I look at it and I think, wow, that game could only be done on the blockchain. Maybe there's like one or two. There's like one right now that's not even a game. It's called Steppen, where it's actually moved to earn. Mm. So the more exercise you do, you can earn crypto. And it's like, even if that game is a positive... Maria was, uh, Maria was earning a little bit from that. <laughs> well, that's one of the few Congrats. times where you could say it's a good yeah. Ponzi scheme because if everyone yeah, in the yeah, world yeah. gets fit and then some people get rich of it, is that a bad thing? Maybe not. Maybe That's for me to say. Anyway, I don't want to take too much of it, but I, yeah. I think... Like, we've mechanics been are before. addictive. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it could have... Yeah. It could be bad for my health. And this is why I think free-to-play will always have a space or non, non-crypto games. Because as soon as there's money involved, I'm stressed because there's money. Mm. I'm not that yeah. kind of person who can have money and then if it goes down, it's fine. Like with this whole thing that's happening with Luna, uh, Terra and UTC, I, I would just be in a ball of stress and not being able to really cope with life, seeing all of my money going down the drain. Um, so it's not I- for me. And yeah. I want to play a game where I'm not, m- my money isn't disappearing, I suppose, and at risk. I just want to have fun without that that yeah. feeling, that burden. That That's like one of the other rhetorics, you know, where there's just like this polar, um, polar perspective on like free-to-play is going to prevail and blockchain will be nothing or the other way around, like blockchain is going to eat up free-to-play. And I feel... I honestly feel like in one of those, you know, uh, Yuzu graphs uh, about <laughs> the market or uh, or another graph that we end up doing with Bitcraft soon, there will be like this blockchain revenue line, you know, uh, that will just add up to the to the market. Because I mean, like uh, back to the first topic uh, where we were talking about like the definition of what a game is, is, is expanding. That would just like, you know, incentivize different people to be playing and engaging with different experiences and kind of creating the revenue line i, I do agree um <clears throat> or uh, yeah like you know something uh, that um, that anil also said i was trying to like figure out okay what what is um like he said you know like we should not focus on this the equation output um and i was wondering like what what is kind of like the takeaway <laughs> with with this piece and for me uh i felt like the reason he's kind of like you know um he advises not to focus on the equation outputs is um because like while you're building in um while you're building like these web3 games if you over index on some of these um rhetorics then you know you kind of um you kind of end up justifying a development roadmap that you know potentially doesn't like fully embrace the future uh, or the the potential of this technology you know like for example if you if you over index on core gamers also used to hate early uh, free-to-play games, then, I mean, that does not mean like it's okay to ignore core gamers when you're kind of building a Web3 game, right? You can also like build, there are also like uh, free-to-play experiences that have core gamers uh, kind of playing those those games and there will always be like a chunk of core gamers who will never like any kind of change ever, you know? Um, and <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, yeah, like games like Fortnite and Clash Royale, you know, wouldn't be there uh, or wouldn't be where they are today without that realization. But but yeah, my overall point is kind of TLDR is, or my takeaway from this was probably the reason he's kind of saying, you know, not to over-index on these uh, or not, not to focus on these equation outputs is because if we end up over-indexing on the rhetoric, then it hampers product development roadmaps in a way where you constrain yourself as a designer to not fully take advantage of the tech, the underlying tech, you know. Um, but yeah, like, was that was that kind of like a similar takeaway for you guys from this piece or? Yeah. Oh, Matt, I, I already did my hash on step in. So if you want to go. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, I agree with, with what you've all said. I think it's, um, you know, it's a spectrum. Uh, of how ingrained the financial aspect of it will be into the game. You know, there's pure play to earn and there's probably some hybrid out there where like you can play and own. I've heard before where um, it's mainly about the game, but you have an opportunity to sort of uh, uh, grind your way up to ownership of, you know, game items or something like that. Uh, uh, You know, to, to Maria's point, like how 
how deeply intertwined the financial aspect is with the fun aspect um, has a massive impact on the type of players that you're going to attract. Um, and so you know, I can understand the criticisms uh, from this article. Like a lot of the early blockchain games are, they don't really distinguish um, a certain type of player. You know, it's not like, you know, if you think about games today, you know, there's all sorts of um you know, segmentation and market research. Like we're making a game in this genre with this specific mechanic for this type of player. And blockchain games is just like, we're making a game with crypto attached to it. And like anyone come play and make some money. You know, it's like, it's not really dif differentiated, I guess. We'll get there for sure. Like I know there's all sorts of games being built uh, in different genres and different areas that will um, evolve the space, but it's just not there yet. And so I can understand the backlash and the criticism. It's just like, it's it's different, but there is a place for blockchain gaming, and it's not a zero sum outcome. It's like it will yeah. exist alongside everything else. Yeah, it will eventually go back to play these play and earn, play to earn, play yeah. and own. It will it will go back to play, and everything's a play, and you have different kinds of play. It. Yeah, Shh, it's that's a, a new secret, Maria. You're not is supposed it? To tell people about that. Yeah. It'll eventually happen. It will just create social media was new for a while, and then it just became part of normal life. And no one, no one even thinks about it anymore as a new thing. Uh, it's just expected, and eventually this will happen as well. Um, hopefully, I will never be on Steppen because then I'll run every day, and that's bad for me. And then I have to pay more health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll come full circle. And I think that's why I, I really enjoy this article. It didn't feel like a cri criticism piece. It felt uh, just take a step back and think. Because if you focus too much on these uh, rules um, and predispositions in your brain, uh, it will limit your innovation. It will stifle your creativity. On the weekend, I was trying to ideate some Web3 game concepts, and I realized I had to just start from scratch and think about what can I do that's new type of play using blockchain. And that, yeah, that, that's what I, like. That's like another thing I'm maybe a little bit worried about. And even like in our consulting engagements and such, I feel even myself kind of getting caught in this trap, which is just like spending so much time in the free-to-play space and knowing like best practices and like how to build for it. Like how how can I force myself to keep all that aside when I'm thinking about this, you know? And is there basically a new way to, to kind of think about, do we need to have like the four hour chests, you know, in, in this or not, you know? Uh, and, uh, and yeah, like that's, yeah, basically there's a lot of like, so there's definitely a talent migration that started, right? Uh, I mean, Anil is at the forefront of that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, there will be like significant unlearning, I feel, also. Well, can, happening. I, can I just touch on that? Yes, yes, I, please, I, please. You, you should actually, well, you're in the trenches, actually. You should tell us like how, how is it no, no, happening. No, no, I've just got a good, good anecdote on the unlearning thing because something that I was told quite a lot when I was at Capcom was how that what tends to happen with gamers is they just make, when they come up with a game idea, their game idea is just another game that already exists, but plus 10% mm. because they just love their favorite game. So it's like, yeah, I want to make Street Fighter, but it's got like chairs in it or something like that, but it's something stupid. And they said that their best ideas often came from people who had sort of nothing to do with games. And mm. two examples that I'll never forget, which turned out to be big hits for them. So one was Monster Hunter. And the reason why Monster Hunter came about is because this guy went on a trip to Loch Ness and he went on a special expedition tour where it's called Hunt Nessie. And what this whole thing, it was like for a week and you got dressed up in this gear and you went around Scotland, around the lake and you were like trying to find Nessie. And of course, Nessie doesn't exist, spoilers. But he said, <laughs> even though he never met Nessie, the thrill of like being in a team and you were going to encounter this incredible beast was like really cool feeling. And then obviously one of the game designers was like, wow, that's a lot better than my idea of just making Street Fighter 4, but putting it in a wrestling <laughs> And so they made that game instead. And then another one was... Um, there was someone had to do jury service in Japan and they went to do jury service and they saw these two amazing lawyers having this really heated exchange. And you can probably guess what game that led to. It was Ace Attorney Phoenix Wright. And again, because I often, because that was actually one of the first games I worked on. And it's like, what possessed mm. you guys to make a legal simulator? Like who on <laughs> earth came up with that idea? And the and lead producer, papers, please, games. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. all I would say, I just think unlearning is exactly right. And that is the point of the article, I think. So that's why I feel the anecdote is valid. It's not just me mm. spieling my old man 
Batman stories, that it's um, <laughs> it, it's relevant. And like, that's a, a good exercise for all of us when approaching like a new technology. That, that's what I said to you. That's what we've tried to do as a team. And I think we're quite far away from it. But yeah, we're thinking in the future, like when we've got like the proven tech, well, what could you actually do with it that hasn't been done before? Because I'm sure there'll be some really innovative stuff. And, you know, it's important not just to take your already proven well, proven paradigms and try to shoehorn them in. Like, again, look at product design in general. I mean, just this week, you know, Apple announced that they retired the iPod, RIP, but the original iPod, do you remember the wheel? I mean, the wheel was amazing. I remember using it for the first time thinking, what is this? And then after about six hours, I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like you can one-handed, you can go forward 10 seconds, back 10 seconds. And I just thought, whoever designed it, they were like, why do we just need to copy like the Sony Walkman design when you could do yes. something different? And so look, I'd love to be, I'd, I'd love to have that ability to be honest with you, to be able to think about things in that way. I think it takes a certain type of personality or, or skill set. Um, and I think people who can kind of merge that with this new technology will be successful. Yes. And, yeah, well, that's how we think about it. It's even more important now to hire young people that don't have these, these constraints into your team because experience is great. However, ex experience blinds you in a way. It you keep thinking, "Oh, I've done this before. I can do it again. It will work." And it's, you have to do that exercise to try to remove the biases that you have of your experience. And so, having that perfect mix of battle worn plus someone just new, a graduate, someone's been in the industry for maybe a year or so, they'll think about things that you can think of because your brain is a bit locked in a box. And, yeah. uh, you know, we see this at the crypto meetups and earlier crypto cabal. There's so many young people there, graduates that are interested in getting into it and thinking about games. So I was going to say, yeah. you took the words out of my mouth. I mean, if we were on a Twitch stream right now, I would subscribe to the Maria Twitch channel and I would donate a thousand <laughs> bits like that statement. And I think it's not just true for um, blockchain games. I think it's true in games in general. Mm. Like I personally noticed that as well coming up is that sometimes as you get older, you do just become that cranky old person that knows what works and you keep to it. But, you know, there's an entirely new generation. I mean, another one you might see, do you ever seen like kids, how they try and turn the channel on the TV by going up to the screen and swiping? Mm. And it's because <laughs> they think, why would you use a remote control? That's like really cumbersome when on the phone they're taught that that's how you change it. And that's like another good example of like, yeah, we should be doing things in an entirely different way, but we still use this like archaic system for many things. So, um, yeah, I think if you're in your 20s right now and you're in gaming, you're going to probably have a really good time over that film. Yeah, we it's definitely to... also like one point for, <clears throat> you know, I mean, even like the crypto native teams building in the space get a lot of shade for not having games experience. But like to, to this whole discussion uh, point, I mean, some of the most successful games right now are you know built by crypto native teams and they are kind of forging the path of innovation in the space setting up you know the first um uh, line of best practices which will of course like evolve but yeah they bring absolutely you know fresh thought and, and even in free-to-play one another interesting anecdote about you know um accidental innovation the longer you know free-to-play has existed uh um, I was uh, I was chatting with uh, the the CEO of uh, Happy Studios uh, at some point, you know, when they when I when I did the Archero deconstruct with Eva, and uh, basically asked him like how how did they like come up with the core mechanic because you know that was that was like something really really new something we didn't see basically the point of you know when you remove the thumb, the the shooting is automatic, um, that's something that we haven't really seen, um, and he said yeah it was basically just an accidental innovation that happened, you know, it wasn't like a fully en engineered kind of a thing. All they knew was uh, when they had their initial control system and, you know, there was a button for shoot and a button for move, it was too much of a headache and it didn't feel fun enough. And somehow the designer just said, let's, you know, kill the kill the shoot button and when you remove the thumb, he's shooting automatically. And that just took it to a whole new level. And, you know, uh, and that that was kind of like the heart of the game also in a way. Um, but yeah, I mean, coming back to this whole discussion, um, yeah, definitely worth a read, this article. Uh, it's quite, quite thought-provoking in many ways. And that also, we're, 
yeah, we're running out of time, but I made like a list of some interesting statements he made, uh, um, you know, where he was talking about like uh, how Web3 games could like lean more into wagering and gambling <laughs> as mechanics and such. Uh, um, I'm, yeah, maybe gambling is like the negative way to say it, but um, on those lines, uh, it does open up the design space to those possibilities, you know, um, and but yeah. Very interesting article. Would definitely recommend a read and a deep thought about it on a Sunday with a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound quite lovely on this grey day. <laughs> I, I'm in. <laughs> nice menu, indeed. We're we're seeing the happy menu. This is great. I love it. <laughs> okay, no, well, that was great. Some some great stories from Neil too. I appreciated hearing those anecdotes. And like now, I'm reminiscing about my old iPod. I still have it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. Me too. But, I bought um, the yeah. U2 special edition. Oh, did you? That was like, um, oh, shoot. I heard an anecdote about this recently. It was like the first, uh, um, like, I don't know, spyware or something where they they, they give you the iPod. It's preloaded with U2. You can't do anything did, about did you, it. Did you get the iWatch too, Maria? <laughs> wow, of course you brought that up. I know it's what Apple Watch, okay? <laughs> what a callback. Apple Watch. Had to do it. Gavin, do not edit this out. <laughs> I reheard the podcast. I was so embarrassed on my own. <laughs> uh, on that note. There'll, there'll be many more episodes. You can take a pot shot at me later. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry with your NPCs, Manu. Yeah. We, we got them. We got them safe. <laughs> um, if you want to join the discussion, join us on Navix Discord. And thanks everyone for joining and we'll see you next week. Bye everyone.